This episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast is sponsored by Mr. B, the only potato chip made in the great state of West Virginia. Check out their products in your local grocery store or online at mrb.com. Transparency and efficiency are two words J.B. McCuskey lives by. As the West Virginia State Auditor, it's his job to make sure that the money state and local governments say they're spending is actually being used that way. And occasionally they do pull back the curtain on major fraud scandals you hear about on the news. But at the end of the day, McCuskey and his team's goal is to make sure that you know how your tax dollars are being used. But that's just the tip of the iceberg for his duties, as you'll learn today. In this discussion, we talk about the auditor's office using artificial intelligence to help detect fraud and their plan to get every county's tax spending posted online. Because at the end of the day, we all deserve to know where our money is going. This project is called West Virginia Checkbook. We also dive into the future of cryptocurrency and its place within government. So if you're interested in the future of digital currencies, this is a conversation you won't want to miss. It's a fun 50 minutes, so tune in. We've got a very informative and interesting conversation with J.B. McCuskey coming your way right now. Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. J.B. McCuskey, state auditor, the 21st state auditor in the state of West Virginia, is joining us today. 21st, so can you name all 20 prior to you, or is that like, that's not a requirement, right? Uh, I can't. Okay, then there you go. Then there's that. I can name them going back like 60 years because they were all. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) What is, I mean, let's start with, I mean, because when I prepared for this episode, I was pretty candid. Like, I don't exactly know the explicit duties of the state auditor. So, I mean, in a a quick sense, most of our audience is probably late 20s, early 30s folks that are, you know, vested in West Virginia issues. But what would you say the, the most common or like, what's your core responsibilities as a state auditor? Sure. So our office is huge uh, and it's sort of an, an outlier in the auditor's offices around the country. So we have five main duties. The first thing and probably the most constitutionally relevant is that we uh, audit the state payments. And that doesn't mean that we audit them uh, afterwards. We audit them as they're being made. So we have to make sure that every dollar that gets spent uh, has a contract a purchase order, that the, the purchase order matches the contract, the dates work, that we're paying the right vendor. Um, it's, you know, it, it is thankless work, but it has to get done. And we, you know, we do 25, 30,000 invoices a week. Mm. Um, and, and so as part of that duty, we're also the official bookkeeper. Uh, and to me, this duty is just as important. And that's where we get into the West Virginia checkbook, uh, which we can talk about later. But, you know, we believe that uh, all of the state's money is owned by the people. And as we are compiling the, the list in the ways that our state has spent money that the citizens should know at the same time with the same level of detail as the bureaucracy knows. And so we keep a running tab on the checkbook that, that allows everyone that's listening to see how every dollar is being spent. Yeah. Uh, we're the securities commissioner. 
and so, um, you know, everyone knows what the SEC is and Bernie right. and all that stuff. Uh, our office is the is the regulator as well as the licensor of everyone who sells stock in West Virginia, and that also gets us into the crowdfunding aspects um, and some of the the fintech sandbox stuff. Uh, you know, Bitcoin and 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 the different uh, kinds of of, of investments that exist in, uh, out there now that are new. Uh, we're also the land commissioner, so I'm in charge of owning and auctioning all of the state's delinquent property. Um, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on in the podcast, but we sell and own thousands of pieces of property every year. Um, and that's a really, really important duty that nobody really thinks about. Uh, number one, people's personal property is wildly uh, important. Uh, you have to follow the, the law and the constitution to make sure you're not doing anything wrong. But on the other side, you know, when people aren't paying their taxes, the only people that really suffer are the schools, right? And mm -hmm. so it is so important to make sure that we don't have delinquent uh, houses with, you know, drug activity and their fire risks uh, on top of the fact that they lower everyone's property values. So, you know, getting stuff that is truly delinquent back into the hands of people who will use it and pay taxes is really important. Um, I'm what's called the chief inspector for the state. That's the fourth duty here. And so in that duty, we are in charge of auditing every city, school board, county, economic development corporation, volunteer fire department. We do about 1800 audits a year. And that is more of a yeah. traditional uh, definition of the word audit as you as you all would think. And as part of that duty, we've created uh, the state's first uh, fraud unit out of our uh, office. Uh, and we, we uh, investigate and actually prosecute in conjunction with our prosecutors, people who steal um, from, from these local governments. And, and we prosecuted some state cases as well. Um, and what's really interesting about that is, you know, forever, I mean, when I was a kid, people say, oh, there's nobody's really stealing or the government's as small as it can be. And that's just not true. I mean, we have, uh, you know, well over 100 felony fraud cases that we've either prosecuted all the way to completion or um, that are in the works. And some of them are big, right? I mean, we have millions of dollars of cases. We have large hundreds of thousands of dollars of cases. And we also have really little ones. But, you know, for us, in many respects, the amount of money that's stolen is a little bit irrelevant, right? I mean, it's the erosion of trust that that crime right. creates that is so important and why we are so focused on not giving Billy Bob a slap on the wrist anymore, right? I mean, these folks need to have real repercussions for stealing money. I mean, at the end of the day, somebody walked in your house and stole 1800 bucks, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's Steve, <laughs> give it back. You put that jerk in jail, right? And so, um, and forever- that Jerk in jail. <laughs> right, and so forever, right, people would be like, oh, you know, that's just how the government, and it's just not- right. Um, and then the last thing is, is uh, we are in charge of a, of a group called Oasis and there's sort of in the, in the weeds, but we're essentially the chief technology officer for the state. And so we, we run the state's financial backbone, uh, which is the accounting system that links all the agencies together um, and makes sure that the, the bills are being paid, that the money's in the right accounts, uh, and that all of the agencies are conforming to what the legislature has um, afforded them the amount of money to, to buy the things that they're allowed to do. And so that's, a, you know, another group of 40 or 50 folks that are, you know, just wildly important to the operation of state government right. nobody would ever think about unless they mess up. And that's, you know, if, if you really want to talk about what the auditor's office is, is we're one of these groups of people, if we're doing the right thing, frequently we will be unnoticed, um, which is kind of a hard place to be, right? And, um, but if something goes wrong, you know, we do all the payroll for the whole state. So we pay like 65,000 people every two weeks. And the big joke is, is we could get 6,499 of them correct and we'll have made one person really mad and failed. Um, and so the margin for error is very, very small. Yeah, like you said, it, there's uh, 
you, you guys don't stay busy at all. I can tell, but um, no. Uh, no, I mean the people <laughs> who work here are busy. You know? Yeah, yeah. You just you just do podcasts all day. <laughs> that's right. That's, yeah. That's uh, no. I think what's funny, like you said, uh, and we we'll, we'll talk about checkbook, Project Mountaineer, um, the dilapidated houses, and some of the artificial intelligence stuff that you guys are doing, but. The, the political corruption in West Virginia is definitely very real. And you guys kind of what you said, you, 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 nobody knows who you guys are until it's like, it hits the news. It's like auditors, auditors office cracks down on million dollar scandal in Boone County, you know, or Madison city hall, you know, whatever it is, the situation. So um, that, so that, that anonymity like, can be a good and a bad thing. Right. So the yeah. don't know we're coming either. But how does that like play me out like a hypothetical? Obviously, you don't have to talk about a real case. But like to me, when I think like a million dollar fraud, I picture like, you know, like mobster looking people like doing some type of, you know, Tony Soprano cell phone scam thing. Like, how does that level of fraud exist? That's not how it looks at all. <laughs> uh, almost never. But you know what I'm saying? Like, how does that? I work? do. Like, so the first a, thing is that there's a profile, right? And so. There's a personality profile that a lot of them fit, and, and it is usually somebody who's upper middle management, and they they terrify the people below them to the point where they will never question what they do gotcha. and ingratiate themselves to the people above them to the point where they think that they can do no wrong. And so they find this little sweet spot where people are either too nervous to complain about something that's wrong, and on the other side, they would never believe it even if it was mentioned. And then there's usually one of three things. It is a substance abuse, an infidelity, or a gambling problem. So there's usually people need money for something that they don't want to tell the rest of their family they need money for. Wow. is isn't 100%, right? There's all kinds of variation. Right. But, you know, the, the, that is sort of the profile that, that fits um, these things. And, um, you know, the scams are, you know, the big joke here is, is that we always, there's no such thing as a small fraud. There's just one we catch quickly. Mm. So the, the people are going to steal. You're never going to stop that. The, the, the real goal is to create systems and technology that finds it before it gets out of control because people become emboldened and five dollars turns into 10 and tens and turns into 20 and 20 turns into twice a month instead of once and then 40 and then you name it and then it gets to the point where they owe you know 150,000 bucks number one they can't pay it back and number two they don't even realize they've done it yeah you know they're not keeping track of it in their mind mm. and so uh, that's you- sort of where we get into the ai and, and and our focus on on technology is is that we have an amount of data that's uncombable and so we have to start using um, the, the tools at our disposal to make us more effective. Talk about, kind of get into the artificial intelligence data robot. What is that headquartered in Morgantown now, infancy stage, but that's going to be able to help reduce some of this waste and fraud, right? Theoretically. Sure. And so they are not in their infancy stage. They're actually a pretty big company. Gotcha. Uh, and so we were, so our office had, had a, a couple of problems that are, uh, their time issues and staffing issues. And so we, we come from a place here and, and everybody on my staff works this way that if we can solve a problem without spending more money, we need to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, our state government does this thing where whenever there's something that isn't working, their first response is, is how do we spend more money to fix it? As opposed to how do we <laughs> fix it? Um, which are really two different questions. And so, you know, I, I could have probably gone out and just hired 75 more people to fix this issue, but there's ways around that. And, and AI to us was, was really the, the big game changer here. And so what our main focus is, is how do we find an algorithm that will pick out the things that are correct? What we know is, is that 95% of everybody that does everything is correct. It's not fraud. They're trying their hardest. You know, this is uh, on the up and up. What I don't need is people looking at that. 
I need that to get filtered by technology so that the 5% where there might be problems humanize mm. onto. You know, you don't need AI to search for fraud. You need AI to search for not fraud so that the people who know what fraud looks like and actually gotcha. probably can't ever learn that have more time and more availability hmm. to do that. And so we went out and we were looking at companies and AI is scary. I mean, anybody who says otherwise is crazy. I mean, it, the, the, uh, the, the, the negative application of AI could be terrifying. And, you know, sure. you can go one of two ways, right? You can say, oh, let's reject it completely. And then the Chinese will own it and they'll kick our asses. <laughs> right. um, and so, or we can say, why don't we learn how to use it better than they do and, and make sure that it's being used properly. And so we found a company called Data Robot. We, you know, we, we interviewed a bunch. And, and the first thing that the guy, the, the founder of this company said to me is that our main core value is the democratization of data. And what he meant was, is that there are, there, there is this, this inherent issue with AI that it's very expensive. And his fear was, is that the big guys would take over all the little guys with it. And he wants his algorithms to be available, usable, and understandable by small businesses who can then compete using what is going to be the technology that changes everything, right? It's the new internet. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. And, and he hadn't really contemplated a government application for this. And, and I, what I said to him was like, look, you know, we're sort of the small business of states, right? And, and there's a lot of states that do, they have more resources, they're bigger, they have more people, they have all this stuff. You know, we have to, we have to be ahead of everyone else in order to compete. And he thought that was super cool. And, and then he went on to sort of complain, you know, a, a large part of his company was in Massachusetts. And, and he was like, look, man, he was like, the taxes are crazy up here. Nobody appreciates us. They don't, you know, there's this, that, and the other. I said, you got to come to Morgantown, check this place out. And he was like, all right, fine. I mean, and it was just sort of an offhanded thing. Before you knew it, he was, he chartered a bus because he doesn't fly because he only likes to use the internet while he's traveling. Um, <laughs> this guy's wild. Um, and so he gets there and we have all these people from WVU and we have this amazing meeting about, you know, what his company's values are, what they think the school can do. And we went and had dinner that, that night and he was like, we need to be here. And, cool. and we didn't sell them. We didn't do, it was just a feeling, right? And I, I think if, if you have any young people that are working on starting businesses here or thinking about leaving, what's really amazing about that is, you know, what we are was good enough and more than good enough for them. And we spent all this time as a government and people, you know, almost ashamed of, of, of what West, what it means to be West Virginian or, or, or to be a West Virginian. And I don't think we understand how valuable our set of values, where we live, people look at us differently than we look at ourselves. Um, somebody who's wildly proud of, of this, but one of my, one of the things that got me into politics is that other people don't see what they have. And this guy did, he saw it immediately. He had no connection to West Virginia. Um, and so now, you know, they have uh, offices in Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, Kiev, and Morgantown. Wow. Uh, so one of those, you know, places is a little different than the other ones. Right. And they That's are almost, yeah. wildly bullish about, you know, what, what our, our workforce is gonna be able to do for them. Uh, because what they found is insanely smart people who understand the technology, who are coming out of a truly top class university and ready to work um, mm -hmm. for a company that takes care of them too. And so, you know, these are jobs that pay well. I mean, these are six figure jobs and uh, you know, their goal is just to have a whole great big bunch of them. I think they've already hired 30 people or so. Wow. Uh, what they really want is to have that number exponentially larger. It's almost like, uh, three truths and a lie. Pick pick the town and they don't belong, right? <laughs> like, right. Like I said, they do. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and what's really cool about this is it was this really awesome collaborative effort, right? And so economic development is, is a team sport and everybody wants to sort of take credit for it. And, you know, I played a small role in it for sure, but, you know, the development team, the people at WVU, General Hoyer, uh, they have a woman named Sarah Biller at WVU who is just an absolute rock star. I mean, she's behind the scenes, one of the more important people to our economic development in the state that people have never heard of. Um, and Vantage Ventures there at WVU is just fantastic. Um, and so when you combine a group of people that have a similar purpose, and it was, it, it's really a neat story. And, and it'll be cool in I, hopefully in eight or 10 years when, you know, there's three or 400 of those data scientists working in West Virginia, and we were the first place to embrace the AI. And, you know, from my standpoint, what, what was the biggest thing my office did is we were willing to embrace the technology, right? So these companies are only going to want to be in places where the governments believe in the power of what they're doing. Um, and so for them, you know, we have a, this perfect breeding ground for them to, to develop their algorithm um, and to work with us. And they have a perfect breeding ground of, a, of an up and coming, beautiful city with an awesome university pumping out great talent that's, you know, surrounded by hiking trails. I mean, what are they, an hour and 40 minutes from where that background? Would be <laughs> yeah, probably not. There's pictures there? of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah <Dolly exactly>. <laughs> I've actually been to that, where that background is. Very cool. I've camped here for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It is I don't a think I've camped there. It's a little aggressive. <laughs> My dad and I did camp at Cooper's Rock after the Syracuse game when we went undefeated in 88. And it was so cold that we had to burn our Cheetos. <laughs> wow. I've never been colder or more hungry. It was awful. I was seven years old. Cheesy logs of greatness right there. I'm they sure burn they, fast they burn too. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's right. So that was like a 10 minute fire you had there. <laughs> well, we had to get it. We needed them to get started. So yeah, there you go. Long night. What's up, guys? Cooper here. I wanted to bring you an important message that this podcast is sponsored by Raise Rub. Raise Rub is a delicious West Virginia original recipe seasoning that you can put on beef, chicken, wild game, casseroles, stews, you name it. I've done it. It's delicious. You can find it at raiserub.com. You can also jump on Amazon, search Raise Rub. It'll be right there. It's on our website. It's on our social media. Delicious stuff. Brody, the owner, is a rock star entrepreneur, really cares about community people in West Virginia, and this stuff is legit. So we highly encourage you to give it a try at your next cookout or just a night at home making dinner for yourself. So Raise Rub, raiserub.com. Grab yourself a bottle. I mean... JB, so I mean about like one, yes, like uh, understanding and using AI to track government uh, spending and fraud, it makes perfect sense. But then you all this kind of, I don't know if it's like directly related, but then this, this initiative of West Virginia Checkbook, that's more about like showing the average citizen, I guess, where their tax money, not the fraud money is going, but where's like the actual tax money of the state going. Um, how important is that to create that in an environment that's, I would say apolitical, because I don't know if like if one if, it, if it's too political, Republican or Democrat is like in control of it, quote unquote, then that could like it could shift between administrations, what's being shown, what's not being shown and painted a different light. So how have you all structured that in a way that seems like it's purely for public good and exposing government, not exposing is like an aggressive word, but just showing government spending in a way that uh, makes sense for everybody? Sure. So it's about accountability. Um, and, and, and so government spending is only relevant if people think it's matching their priorities. And so what's interesting about government is that you have a, a static set of money, right? So every year that the, the, you know, they, they have a budget. So we have this year, we have 4.7 billion to solve a static set of problems, right? The problems don't change. And so they have an amount of money and a set of problems and a group of people. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, the only thing that really matters is how they organize the priorities of that spending based on who elected them. And if the people who elected them don't know what they've done, how can they ever hold them accountable? Or on the alternative, say thank you or keep right. it. And so for me, this is about um, people having the power to either uh, reelect or replace the elected officials that they that they have entrusted based on whether or not they're doing the things that they should be doing with their money. And it all started, I was in the legislature before, and um, you know, you'd sit in these committee hearings and the, you know, the, these bureaucrats would come in and, and they'd say, well, I need another 8% this year. And you'd say, why? And they'd say, I don't know, because. Uh, and there was, no, there was no data and no actual, it, it was so hard to find the data to back up what they were saying that it made life as a delegate very, very difficult when it came from the budget standpoint. And so the, you know, the first thing that I really wanted the checkbook to do was to give our legislators and decision makers, which is why we, we've pushed it out into the cities and counties, access to data to make better decisions, right? And so you know, when they're working with year-old data and year-old spending, that's not good enough when you're right. trusted with $5 billion of somebody else's money. You better have, you better know what you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, getting it into decision-makers' hands is first. Second is getting it into the public's hands and teaching them how to use the tool. So it has to be easy enough and it has to be known enough for people to use it. It's no good if it's sitting there and nobody's watching it, right? Yeah. And lastly, you know, the media is often in the dark. And, you know, you guys are media people. You, you know how long it takes to get a FOIA answered. Uh, you know how hard it is to do a FOIA. You know, one of our main goals was to give the media the ability to not have to FOIA the spending data. It's public, right? It's crazy that you would ever have to FOIA something that is inherently It's like public, yeah. And so, you know, that, those are sort of the three things about the checkbook that we think are really, really important. But for me... It comes down to the fact that it's it's your money, which means you need you should know how it's being spent, and we are elected by you, and you should be able to hold us accountable for the things. Mm-hmm. That and you can't do that if we're hiding it from you. How but, unique? How unique is that across this country? Is that pretty? Like, does any other state have a model around this? Or we are leading the way for sure, but there are lots of states who are who are who are working on it as well. And um, you know, the the question that never gets asked is should we even be doing this at all? And so, you know, one of the things that I want the public to to go in and see is, do we want teachers to be paid more? Yes, right? Do we want kids to be uh, taken care of by DHHR better? Yes, we do. Do we want, um, you know, you name the priority and, and look at this in a world where the amount of money we have is static and reorganize the spending in a way that matches the way you think it should be spent. Mm -hmm. And then you have to start picking and choosing the things that you spend less on. Yeah. And that is not a bad exercise. Right. It, it just is not. And, and um, if your answer is always to take and spend more, you're not analyzing the problem right. The, the question I always ask when I give a speech is, how much does it cost to educate 400,000 students in West Virginia? And invariably, somebody will tell me how much we've spent. But that's not the question. Right. How much does it cost? Yeah. How much should it cost to educate properly 400,000 students in West Virginia? And you can't just look at how much you've already spent. You have to analyze it from a myriad of factors. Are we being efficient? Should it be more? Should it be less? Are we spending too much on transportation? Um, you know, you, you name, are, are, we, are we getting the results we want? Um, and so the government forever has taken this sort of lazy approach of just adding 7% to whatever they already spent to try to solve a problem. And that belies all of the underlying data and all of the analysis that's required, in my opinion, to determine whether or not you're doing it properly. 
and we were just looking at the website not too, too long ago or yesterday, kind of checking it out a little bit, but not everybody is on board because if you follow the, the WV checkbook Twitter, you, you just partnered with, was it Randolph County or? or yeah. And, and to say that not everyone is on board is it, it, the people that aren't there doesn't mean they're not on board. So okay. Okay. Yeah. There's an intake lag, right? In some ways, there's so many people that want to be on board that there's people waiting. Okay. We don't have an unlimited amount of staff to push these sites out. We can do city sites, especially little ones pretty quickly. The county ones take a little longer. The last time I looked, I think we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 counties who are signed up. Uh, and our goal is, is to get to about 150 cities by the end of next year. Is there any way that you could almost regulate that? Can, can you regulate that and push it? Like, do you get a bill? I mean, can you make that something that everybody has to be a part of that? Or is this still could. almost like an optional um, am, kind of thing? I'm not a, it's amazing how much easier it is to offer a really quality product that doesn't cost anything than to make people do stuff. Yeah. Like shove it down their throat. Like you will do this. And right. yeah, it's just you. so much easier to, to, to offer something that's going to help. And, and the other part of it that's really nerdy and people don't probably see is, is that this is one, another step in us building um, a singular cloud-based accounting system that all of our local governments use, mm-hmm. which will, reduce our audit costs exponentially. It'll make the audits faster. It'll make them more transparent. It'll help all federal reporting. You know, once we're all started sort of dealing in the same uh, technological sphere, and, and this is another thing that's really cool. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Marshall hired Brad Smith to be their president. Oh yeah. Oh, how we couldn't miss that and one. So yeah. <laughs> we now have the CEO of the preeminent accounting software company as the president of the university that's 50 minutes from my office. Yeah. And there isn't anybody pushing the technological advancements in accounting software to reform government more than me. And, and I'm really, really looking forward to working with Brad on, you know, what are the things that I don't even know about that his company was working on? How do we make West Virginia the model on, on all of these things uh, and use our universities and their students to help push the, you know, the boundaries of what's possible? You know, one of the really cool things we do, we have about 100 cities that don't get audited every year. They don't have enough money. They don't get their financial statements done. I and mean, we have a lot of really small cities. And we created this thing called the Small Government Monitoring Program. And, and we use fourth-year accounting students to do the audits. So the legislature changed the law. And so it's their senior project to do an audit of some little town of, you know, 300 people. It's pretty cool. Interesting. That's it. It's really cool. Uh, it is really cool, actually. But the, the coolest part for me is when my auditors come and watch the presentations, these kids do stuff that they wouldn't think to do. And they find things they wouldn't think to do. And watching a 21-year-old approach a problem when you're a 40-year-old who's been doing it for 20 years is eye-opening in how static your, your um, problem-solving skills are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, when you unleash a problem inside of 200, you know, the brains of 221-year-olds, whatever comes out the other end isn't going to be what you expected. Yeah. <laughs> Almost invariably going to be something that, is, that, that can really change your process in a very positive way. And so all that being said, you know, we work with Gordon constantly. WVU is unbelievable. And, and I'm just so, I think it's so cool that we're going to have this opportunity to work with Brad in the same way. Let me switch gears here because I'd like to get your perspective on this. Um, in my day job as a financial advisor, I work for a financial firm. So I've been Which studying- one? Actually, this little vest right here. It's on his, it's on it's his a, vest. Yeah, <laughs> it's a boutique. It's a boutique with me. It's called Centurion. So you have. So you're re- you're regulated by me. Probably. I mean, are you Finra? Spiff? Are you Finra? Oh yeah, yeah. That's I have, me, baby. I have a <laughs> we had to send our office a big All bunch right, of money. Is, 
This is getting a little. This is getting yeah. a little nerdy here. Hold on, uh, you're losing me. You guys are going well, over my head here. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Bring me up to speed. <laughs> well, so my, my my question. He's a financial question. advisor, which means that he has to follow yeah. regulations at my office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't trust wrong. Me. Yeah, no. Like, we, like my well, my goon squad's gonna come get him. A lot of regulations. <laughs> Finra and SEC is no joke. <laughs> But my question was from the perspective of, I want to hear the opinion of someone like you, like an auditor, um, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, that sort of stuff, as it kind of sweeps the nation, the national headlines, and not just in a you know tabloid way, it's making real changes upon impacts on the way we're going to finance, the way we're going to bank, the way we're going to title our house. Like what from a state perspective does West Virginia, like who would even be the person to like evaluate that? How does it work into the, the lives of West Virginians? Like in that sort of thing. Like, is that at all in on anybody's radar within the state? Well, it's majorly on my radar. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the, the future, the fortune favors the bull, right? And if you watch the way currencies are now, I mean, they're talking about another $2 trillion of federal spending. Right. Uh, what they're doing is, is generally unsustainable. They're talking about some kind of crazy minimum world tax, right? Like, I mean, this stuff, it, it, this is designed to create economic disaster. It's not designed to do it, but it will do that. I mean, these things are crazy. And this, the, the Bitcoin and the, the alternative currency world is uh, a hedge on that. And it, it has gotten to the point now where it is valuable enough and it's vetted enough that this stuff isn't fringe anymore, mm-hmm. right? People that are investing in it are not fringe anymore. And the faster that our state governments can start to figure out how to make this part of our investment portfolio, the better off we're all going to be. And the faster that we can start figuring out ways to uh, borrow money in that sphere is going to be better for us because the inflationary risk is way less. You know, there's, there's a million reasons why financing bond projects that way is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it, unfortunately for me, it's not the technology behind it. I don't understand as well as I want to. I understand the financial implications and I understand the market implications. It's the security part of it that makes, that is the only part of it that makes me currently nervous. And so I have such an unbelievable duty of care uh, with state retirement and, and investment money that until I truly understand that technology, which I'm trying to do now, um, it's hard to really push for it, but it needs to happen and it needs to happen quickly. As soon as we figure out how to make sure that it, that, that it is as secure and fungible as, as cash. All right, let's be real. Finding a new job is really, really hard. I mean, you can use search engines for hours on hours, and you usually end up right where you started, still looking for a job. So, hey, why not simplify the process and let the team over at Mountaineer Employment Solutions do the heavy lifting for you? And there's a good chance you'll start making money and putting that in your pocket, doing something you actually want to do. So, what do you need to do? Well, first head over to BeAMountaineer.com and check out what they've got going on in your neck of the woods because they've got job openings all over the state of West Virginia. But hey, maybe you like talking in person about what you want to do. Well, they've got two offices, one in South Charleston and the other in Morgantown. So if you just want to talk to someone and kind of give them your thoughts on what you're good at, what you're skilled at, where your interests are, walk in and Bill Carter's team will make sure to help you out. So here it is again, Mountaineer Employment Solutions, West Virginia's premier talent acquisition and staffing leader, a proud partner of the Mountaineer Media Podcast.
Well, my biggest thing was for the longest time that I, I didn't think, like I've known about Bitcoin for five years, which I would have bought a couple of Bitcoins five years ago. Me too. Um, They're but, only, uh, what, $60,000 a piece now? Right. Could have bought like 12 Tom, of them. Tom Brady's yeah. giving them out for free. Somebody... See, well, they're not for free. He gave them for football. Yeah. <laughs> $500,000 football. Probably. Yeah, yeah, what, exactly. What, what, I saw a tweet. It's like, that guy should have walked out of that stadium. He should have walked out of the stadium. Best deal Tom Brady's ever made. Yeah, exactly. Those jerks <laughs> tried to give that guy like a $1,000 gift card to the pro shop. Or to yeah. The, you know, the Get this Mike whatever, Evans like... signed jersey out of here. Yeah. yeah give me um, your crypto portfolio. <laughs> right. Oh, great. Thanks, a hat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what what I'm saying is like I think well, when I was studying early on, I was like, no way that will governments ever fully embrace this because in theory, it kind of takes away some of the power, quote unquote, of government. If you have some sort of un, like if citizens can peer to peer pay each other and potentially cut out government intervention, supervision, t- taxability, that sort of thing. Like I thought at first that no way would ever get off the ground to a large scale, but then now I think you're seeing like like you said, JB, like the cat's out of the bag. Like it's happening, it's growing, it's going to be a part of society and modern day financing. I think governments now, even at the state level or the country level, are trying to figure out how they fit into it and mm-hmm. how they how it just doesn't become like I think if the whole point of it was to be almost just like an alternative, not an alternative, but just something different than the current system is the right answer to just merge it in with the, re- the mainstream financing and, and whatnot. I don't no, know the answer funny. to that, but like I don't know how governments like find a way to to embrace it without being like, all right, all the party's over now, the government's involved. Like, it's not what it used to be. That's Spoils it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think in some ways it was designed to to show the lunacy of our current currency. It's an interesting take. 40% and, of like the government spending was spent in the last year, right? Something crazy right. like that. Uh, the amount of money that was crazy printed. like that. And they, what they're saying is, is that, you know, we use gold essentially to back our currency. And yeah. it's just something you go to a mine and find. And what they're saying is, is that <laughs> I can mine stuff on the internet that's equally as rare, right? And right. put to a, a, a an equally valueless thing like a piece of paper, and people will use it to buy stuff. And so what it's really about is that gold is requires human effort to get. And so the reason that that gold is valuable is because it takes time and manpower to go get it. And Bitcoin's the same way. Mm-hmm. It, takes incredible amounts of money, people, time, and servers to go out and mine for Bitcoins, right? And so the to say that it isn't the same thing is, it, it really doesn't make sense when you really think about what actual currency is being backed by, because it's a very, very similar proposition. It's just being done in a very modern way. Uh, but all that being said, you know, there is, is it ready for the big time? We'll see. I, I'm not 100% convinced that I need to take $500 million of the state pension money and try to invest in Bitcoin yet, because the downside of, of it going right. is just too high right now. But that on the same token, it won't be forever. And we need to be ready and be ahead of the curve on that. I just wonder if there'll be a state that like fully embraces it to a degree there and gets the fir- first to mover advantage. Like if Florida just says we are going to be the most, you know, crypto friendly, which they kind of somewhat have, like uh, be the most friendly crypto state there is. It's like, damn, that first mover advantage for company, for innovation, for blockchain, like all kinds of stuff could so be. We are actually could be massive. on the private side. We are actually really, really ahead of the curve on this. So Delegate Capito, cool. who's a delegate here in, in uh, Charleston with me, mm-hmm. um, did a, a fintech sandbox bill. And, um, you know, one of the issues is, is are these securities or are they currency? Uh, and so we had to work out, you know, where the regulation of this went. And, and you know, it, in, invariably, our office is, I'm not sitting around trying to grab more things to regulate, right? And 
it made more sense in our banking regulation office. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, the, the, those guys are sort of in charge of that, but we have crowdfunding, blockchain, um, and our fintech sandboxes is as modern as anybody else's. Um, and so if people in, out there are interested in it, um, you know, reach out, reach out to me or, or to Delegate Capito, and we'd be more than happy to sort of explain, you know, where we are on this and why we are ahead of the curve. So at its base, crypto, Bitcoin, it's something that you can't track, right? I mean, I think that's one of the, the, it's hard to kind of follow the path of where it's been, where it's going. So from a fraud perspective, how do you try and solve that issue? If there was fraud involving crypto, how do you kind of even find whose fault it is or what's going on? And the other side of that is, have you had to deal with anything quite like that yet? So that is a fascinating hypothetical that I honestly hadn't even contemplated. Um, you know, the government doesn't spend any crypto, so I'm not tracking it's it. It's not necessarily on your plate. Yeah. But I will say that you just added a whole nother layer of reasons why it, we need to we need to solve some problems before it becomes a currency that we use on the state side. Um, that's really interesting because it's actually one of the main purposes yeah. of crypto is for it to be anonymous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Um, it's one of these things where there's this there's burgeoning new group of and the word apolitical is wrong, but they are counter-political, I think is probably the better phrase. And, and a lot of the crypto folks, what they really, really want is for the government to not know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's a sure. very laudable goal, in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it's true, I mean, like, not to get like super like political too, or like government surveillance, but it seems like, I mean, more and more like nations that are, you know, America's obviously still a democracy. I'm not a person that doesn't think like America is like a democracy, the freest country in the world. But like, it seems like the world, every major power is kind of tiptoeing closer to something more towards like authoritarianism like like china is like the like obviously the maybe the craziest example of like a combination of like the most intense capitalistic also absurdly controlling communistic government there's ever been but also like extremely modern and tech savvy like more and more governments are just becoming uh, governments becoming very powerful surveillance all this type of stuff i think people naturally are like wait a second like what you know what is like what does the future of this play out to be? I think that's why you get some people innovate and do this type of stuff. Um, well, I mean, and at the end of the day, you know, what I said earlier, I think is super important here. It's really about accountability. The reason that we are different, it, and just look what happened last night, right? I mean, that was a referendum on something that only happened 10 months ago. It's pretty obvious to me. And, you know, we still live in a country where the people get to go out, stand in a line, mark a ballot, and tell people whether or not they're doing what they want. And it only works if they know what we've done. You can't mm-hmm. be accountable when the when the the government that they work in doesn't allow you to know what they've done. Uh, and that's the great uh, detraction of authoritarianism and, and what they're doing in China and throughout Europe. Honestly, is that they they control so much that they prevent the people from knowing what's even happening to them. And that, to me, is the scariest thing that that could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you what are you most optimistic about? What you look at you got all these projects going on? What do you in West in terms of West Virginia where it fits into like the competing on a state level for economic development? I mean, we've had some huge announcements, the gorge, you know, the hyperloop. We've had some major stuff going into Morgantown. Like, what are you most optimistic about that you're seeing that is positive for West Virginia? I love this question. Um, I am always optimistic. That's I stay that way. Um, you know, the, the thing that I'm the most optimistic about is that people here are finally starting to believe in themselves. Um, we're having enough successes to me that people are starting to understand that the, that, that the, the Appalachian value set 
is meaningful in the in the marketplace. And then mm-hmm. on the other side of this coin, you know, this idea that you can be inherently independent, but also modest and humble and kind um, is something that other people are looking at from outside and saying, I don't want to live in this Instagram culture. I don't want to be surrounded by people that only care what their neighbors think or, you know, and, and West Virginia has this beautiful ability to be wildly welcoming, but also uh, enable you to be your own person. And so you don't have to be, um, you don't have to, to be, you know, somebody who's running around trying to make a million friends, you can come here and you can have a a great little school that's right by your house. You know, church is five minutes away. Uh, Your work is five minutes away. There's your 10 minutes from mountain biking. You're four minutes from the grocery store, you name it. Um, And people are looking at this and saying, you know what? I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this, uh, the Ascend program, working Mm -hmm. on some, um, some, some, uh, what are they called? Remote workers. Right is really cool. But I, I think bigger than that, um, what we're seeing and, and, and our biggest challenge really is, is how do we get young families here? Like, how do we get people to come here, embrace our culture, embrace who we are, embrace what we're doing and stay, start a business, you know, get, get and, and say, this is where my family's going to be for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're starting to find that, which I think is, is really fascinating. And, you know, I, I think at some point, one of our biggest challenges is going to be how do we start curating who we go after? Um, you know, everybody wants to get in the club that's got a big line, right? <laughs> Bouncer only lets certain people in. And so what you really want to do is to start understanding that that at some point we are going to have so many people that want to be here. This is just my personal opinion in the world that we live in, um, that we're going to have to, to be picky and choosy about how we're, we are marketing ourselves you know, what, what industries we want people. And, and uh, I think that's going to be a great problem to have. Uh, I'm, I'm just super bullish on West Virginia. And so I, um, I don't know how old you guys are, but I, my four best friends from high school are all gone. I got you know, two in Raleigh, one in Dallas and one in DC. And, you know, we have a text chain like everybody else does. And, um, you know, it's a lot of ball busting and that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it's also, they'll, they'll be sent, you know, once a week or every two weeks, there's some article in the national news about something weird that happened in West Virginia. They'll be like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you live there or whatever. And it's like, you know, for a while, I just sort of chuckled and laughed it off. But at some point, I was just like, you know what, guys, you know, this is bullcrap. You can either move home and help fix it, because quite frankly, you leaving is the reason why these problems are existing, because right. you can do your job here, right? There's no right. reason for you to have left. Uh, or let me do it and, and leave me alone. Because there's a bunch of people that believe in this place, the place that created you, created your jobs, created your life, educated you, gave you the value set that I believe is making you successful. And, and leave me alone, let me try. And, and they, haven't bothered, they haven't bothered me at all uh, after that. And, and, and I think even more importantly than that, you know, these guys, they have great lives, you know, they have families and, and all this stuff, but you know, it, they're spending, let's say it takes them an hour longer a day to accomplish the, get the kids to school, get the kids to soccer, get to the grocery store, get to work, blah, 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 you name it, right? You're talking five hours a week for 18 years, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much it's worth to have almost an entire extra year with your family when they're leaving for college. But my presumption is, is it's worth more than the eight or $10,000 more you're going to make moving. Right. Uh, and, and I think more than that, um, 
we live in a place that's a little bit of a blank slate. And, and this is probably the, the best answer to that question. Circle back to why am I so optimistic? Sure. There aren't very many places in America anymore where there's a, as a young person, you can move home, get involved politically quickly, mm-hmm. relatively powerful quickly, mm-hmm. start to reshape a place that is in a, in a very, very blank slate sort of transitional environment, right? So we have this incredible opportunity as people our age to rewrite this story. How do I want West Virginia to look when I'm 60? You can't move to Charlotte or Dallas or Chicago or Baltimore or California or any of these places and do that. Their stories are written. And in many cases, they're written well. Mm-hmm. Right? If you wanna just go and live in a house and, and in, in a nice little neighborhood and have a great job, that, that, is a, that is a simple do. Move to Charlotte, go do that. But if you wanna come and, and, and be a part of changing a place in the way that you want it, that's here. And I think that that when I'm talking about how we curate who comes here, the draw is going to be uh, really, really independent, leadership-oriented, smart people who want to have a, a, a say in where they live. I think if we can get a bunch of those folks, the sky is the limit because that changes everything. And then people care about their government, they care about their school, they care about their roads, they care about this stuff and they're active in their communities. And you can't find a better blueprint for incredible success than that, in my opinion. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple more things that we teased at the beginning here that we, we haven't gotten to yet and maybe you can kind of quickly scan through these, but one, you guys are kind of the clearinghouse for the American Rescue Plan for funds that West Virginia got from the federal government. Can you discuss that a little bit and your role in that? And then also sure. what you guys are doing with the land commission. There's a bill you're trying to push about dilapidated houses and almost like a beautification project. Can you kind of talk about both of those? Sure. So on the ARP funding, we have about four and a half billion dollars of federal money that came in. And the easiest way that I can, we are not the clearinghouse, uh, but eventually we have to audit yeah. that they spend the money on it. And and from my standpoint, there was a couple things that needed to happen. First, um, this money needed to be spent transparently. Uh, and just for all the exact same reasons that I talked about before, I mean, you guys are old enough. Every 10 years, there's a billion dollars that gets sent here from the federal government. And every 10 years after that, everyone says, what the hell happened to that money? Right. And, you know, and, and we can't let that happen again. And the only way to prevent that is to help local governments understand what they can spend it on and then show their constituents how it was spent. And I'll tell you, our, the response from our local governments has been outstanding. Um, you know, there's a couple cities uh, uh, that have, have really pushed back against it. Uh, but by and large, we have Wheeling, uh, we have Parkersburg, Beckley, Bluefield, um, uh, who else we got? Uh, Martinsburg, we've got Clarksburg, Morgantown, Bridgeport, you know, and, and, you know, you can curate that list to determine which ones I'm not saying if you want. Um, and, the, and the counties have been great too. And so, you know, these, these folks understand the stakes. They understand that their constituents um, want this money to be spent properly. And so we have essentially, uh, and, and they're allowed to spend the money however they want. It's not, I'm not a clearinghouse. Um, but we have pushed them into or, or, or pushed the idea that this money, it, it will be best spent on water and sewer infrastructure. And the reason that we say that is, you know, we live in the birthplace of rivers uh, and we yet still spend more as much, if not more on water than any other place. And, you know, that irony is not lost on me and it's not a good irony. And so we have these water systems that have been neglected for 75, 80 years. And now the towns that 
they were supporting 5,000 people on a water system. There's 1,500 people there. Yeah. And you can do the math. You know, you're dividing the same operating cost basically just among smaller amount of people. And raising rates just isn't going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you talk about it from an economic development standpoint, broadband is incredibly important. But nobody's going to put a business where you can't flush a toilet. And right. so you don't have, you know, the, 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 the very basic infrastructure ready to go. We're talking fire service, water, sewer, electricity, gas, these things. It kind of doesn't matter if you have 5G. Um, right. so <laughs> you need to find these places that, that need that fixed up first um, and make sure that this money goes to do that. And then on, on the, the other side of it, you know, we just want to make sure that when we get to the end of this five years, that our, the people of West Virginia can look all of us elected officials in the face and say, I know how you spent that money. And you either did it wrong or right. Mm-hmm. And it's accountable for that. And I think that that is, that's the, the, the best that we can all do is to try our level best, do things that are going to do the most good for the most people the fastest. And, and then let them know what we did. And if it's not what they wanted, I mean, that's on us. And it's a little bit on them too. I mean, at some point, the citizens need to sit to, to, to pipe up and say, hey, you know, this, you have given us this information and we want you to do this. And, and I'm really looking forward to, to when that starts to happen on a much larger scale. Uh, from the land bank perspective, so we own all these delinquent houses. And, and what cities do you, you live where, CJ? I'm in, I'm in Cur- I'm Charleston. Charleston. We're both from, yeah, live on. Say again? What, what part of Charleston do you live in? I live on Loudon Heights right now. Oh, so do I. Like South Hills. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I live yeah. Uh, uh, right across from Holt School. All right. We'll get together and get a beer after this or Anytime something. Anytime you yeah, want. We'll- <laughs> um, so, you know, there's delinquent houses everywhere and they are a fire risk. They're a drug risk. They're a crime risk. Um, and more than that, they are a drain on property values. And um, we think that there's a better way to sell these houses that will make a much more positive impact than, than maybe what's happening now. And our idea is this, you know, the first and foremost, we want to create a process where if people have just had a bad or rough year, that they don't lose their house on the first swoop. We want to, there has to be a process by some kind of payment plan because the most ideal situation is for the homeowner to stay in their home. They're obviously the one that, that is going to care about it the most. They're obviously the one that's invested the most in it. And they're obviously the one that, that has, that we need to try the hardest to protect. Mm-hmm. If that isn't possible. Um, you know, we live in a state where we're at, 60% STEM teachers in a lot of our counties, right? We can't find math teachers. We can't find science teachers. Some places we can't find English teachers, right? And, you know, what an amazing proposition it would be to say to somebody from out of state, hey, we're going to have an opportunity for you to come and work with some kids that really, really need somebody special. Um, and we're going to give you a house uh, at, a, at a price that's going to basically be nothing and the ability to take out a loan for nothing. Same goes for law enforcement officers. We, we live in a place where there's counties that don't have nearly enough sheriffs, nearly <laughs> enough road deputies, and we're dealing in a world where there's kind of, unfortunately, still a lot of drugs, a lot of drug crime, a lot of you know these things that can be sort of simply solved by an increase in force. Um, and then lastly, we have people coming out of substance abuse recovery who, you know, if you talk to anybody in that industry, the biggest problem they have in recidivism is number one, there's nowhere for people to live. And number two, because of that, they end up going back to where they started. Yeah. And it's so much easier to fall back into the same habits and the same crew and the same crowd when you're back in the same place where you started. And so we think that, you know, the pride of home ownership, uh, the development of a, of a valuable asset 
uh, and something that you have to care for and, and, and is prideful um, could be a huge step in people that, that have taken the biggest step in turning their life around. Um, and anything we can do, especially at this very cost-effective way, to to keep to help keep them on the straight and narrow and, and to be to feel good about themselves and to stay clean. I mean, that's a no-brainer from from a human standpoint, right? That is a kind response uh, and a useful and a use of, of a government asset that I think is is kind of beautiful. But more than that, it makes monetary sense. You know, we are we are investing very little uh, to save a lot. People yeah. in substance abuse recovery, uh, a lot of them, it, it is it's a huge expense of government resources. And, and so, you know, you have to look at it from both. It, it feels kind of heartless to to, to think of it that right. way. To think of it from both standpoints, right? These are human beings who deserve respect and we have to do everything we can to help them. And on the same token, like I said before, we have a static amount of money to solve an enormous amount of problems. And so you have to allocate those resources in a way that's the most beneficial. I love it. Well, JB, well, I appreciate your deal, bold, your, your bold thinking, man. I feel like I haven't communicated. Maybe you're not like a quote unquote regular politician, maybe in the state auditor, auditor's office allowed you to be a little bit more just like, hey, look, I'm going to tackle these projects in a pragmatic way because I often get frustrated with politicians when they speak in like vague campaign terms. But it seems like you've got some extremely tangible, practical projects that you can follow the line. I guess this is your training as an auditor. Follow the line <laughs> between implement, paying for it and getting results and ultimately the improvement of West Virginians lives. Um, so I'm a little it. vague about me. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. No, it's a good thing. And we actually, CJ, yeah. we'll have to introduce him to the folks at Building Appalachia. They actually, it's like a real estate group who flips like uh, essentially dilapidated houses. And they, I think uh, I've keep, seen those guys. They're uh, doing yeah. great work. What right? a yeah. cool way to promote what our pro- project would be is to have them take on like the first one. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, dude. They're awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll connect. Connect. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. So, well, JB, man, that would be very, very cool. You got a great vision for West Virginia, and we appreciate you taking uh, about an hour here to talk about everything and and uh, all the. We didn't even talk about sports. Coming. I know we really didn't get. Did you watch the World I Series? Tried. Did you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> you guys kept bringing up all this boring stuff. To talk about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Who wants to talk about that anyway? Did so. you guys go to WVU? We yeah, did. We, we were college roommates. Yeah. I uh, I don't. I was pretty down about. I wasn't real happy with what was going on two weeks ago, and. I am shockingly much happier now. Yeah, yeah, it's funny it's how a win, how a couple, a couple of wins, wins can change. Can change. Yeah, <laughs> as you get older, as I've learned, you get older in West Virginia sports. It's just like my dad's like he's probably like told me this. Like you just kind of come to expect like like at first you live and die with like oh this is the season, this is the national championship. It's like oh hell, it's the same old story. And then they beat you down <laughs> into submission. Yeah. I was, it's I mean, a, I was at the pit game, uh, yeah. and I always describe that as the. Yeah. Worst non-tragic night of my life right yeah. things yeah. that, that are worse than that but like yeah. save death of family members i mean it was yeah. cool oh, I, yeah. I, I was despondent for like two days i had to go take law school finals and like i could barely <laughs> yeah that was about finals time wasn't it december 1st well, i mean it was truly, it was truly <laughs> awful it was much worse than it should have been and like oh, even to this day even thinking about it makes me borderline miserable i mean we were right there i know we, that, that was the national championship we win in that hands. game we're also yeah. in the acc Right, yeah. no conference yeah. alignment talk. I mean, it, it honestly, it, it was great point. Terrible result for such a myriad of reasons that we didn't even know yet. It's hard to even like looking back on. It's actually worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully all will work out. Maybe West Virginia. Sorry, State. that was a pretty depressing it, end to this. But I think good, I, though, but... I love where we are now. I love our coach. I think he's really a cool guy. Yeah, he was great. Get his dudes in there. I think he's going to be really successful. 
Yeah, I think so too. All right, boom. There we go. We yeah, got yeah. everything hey, now in there. Now we talked about yeah. sports. Just we'll leave that last part of it in there. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep it in there. So, all right, good deal, JB. Nice Thanks, talking guys. to you, buddy. Talk to Thank you, later. JB.